Hello, everyone. Today with us, we have Sam Eddy. He's practicing CPA in the state of Florida, as well as chartered accountant in Australia. He gained his experience working in public accounting for seven years before transitioning to the private sector in 2015. He spends a great deal of his time working on budgets, forecasts, and data analytics to support the success of companies in the medical and mental health fields. He has also extensive experience in drafting key performance indicator dashboards for ABA providers. His international and U.S. accounting experience has allowed him to hone his accounting skills in fields such as manufacturing and healthcare. He received his bachelor's degree in commerce from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to our podcast, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Great. So, so exciting. Australia. It's definitely on my list of places I want to go. Yeah, it's very far away. It's, de it's definitely a long flight to get there. It is. How long have you been in the States? Uh, for just over 10 years now. Okay, so... See, so I'll just start off saying Margin Keepers came to us, recommended, highly recommended. Yes. Multiple ABA providers uh, recommended you all. So I'm, I'm really glad that we can partner um, and kind of join forces because, you know, ABA practices really need help on the business side. <laughs> and so... Um, it's, I'm glad that we can do this and, and just kind of share some knowledge, um, and kind of move forward, uh, and, and help these well-meaning, you know, BCBAs. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Right, that's really our focus area. You know, we really specialize in this industry because as you say, a lot of these companies are BCBAs starting out, who don't have that financial knowledge or background to, to kind of run the business from that side. So it's, you know, we come on board to provide that expertise and help them from that side so they can focus more on the business and, and providing services. And like, I, I'm just curious, uh, like how, how did you get into this, right? Like everybody seems to have a little unique story as how they, they started getting into this industry. So I'm curious if you have a, a cool origin story. <laughs> yeah, so originally my, my wife, Joanna, she's, she's a CPA as well. Um, she was working in public accounting and her sister was actually starting up an ABA practice. Um, and, and Joanna had had experience in the medical field prior to, to working in public accounting. So she had knowledge of how things work, the ins and outs of billing and, you know, the, the intricacies to do with that kind of field. So she decided to help out and really it's just grown from there really, you know, okay. We've just picked up, you know, other BCBAs starting out companies or, or existing companies looking for help and, and growing from that. All right. So I guess today our focus is going to kind of be on bookkeeping. Um, and we do have some questions uh, as we go through. We'll kind of bring them in as they kind of fit, but we'll kind of let you take it and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to, I guess, give a brief overview of what, what is bookkeeping? What is accounting, right? Um, you know, bookkeeping is kind of the fundamental step to record all the financial data, right, that you have. So from your business bank account, your credit cards, that all needs to be recorded and categorized. So that's where bookkeeping comes in. Accounting really is looking at taking that financial data, interpreting it and, and preparing it in a manner to present financial statements. So things like a, a balance sheet and a profit and loss, which are really fundamental for business owners in analyzing the business, but also being compliant. Right. So you need a, a balance sheet and a profit source for, for tax returns. Maybe your bank needs it or you have audits for, for certain payers and you need to provide that information. So it's a, kind of bookkeeping is the fundamental first step to get everything in. And then accounting is really interpreting that financial data. When an ABA practice comes to you, 
right? Like, where where is your main focus? Like, are you helping them come up with a budget? Um, are are you like where 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 do you find yourself fitting into that um, when when you, they first reach out? It really depends on on where the business is at. If they're starting out, you know, it, it's kind of saying, okay, well, where are you at? Are you already billing clients? Do we need to set up your accounting software? Maybe they've already started doing it themselves. Um, so coming on board to try and help them take over that role, or, or maybe they're an established ABA company. So it's, you know, kind of maybe looking to change accountants. Maybe they're having issues with the current accountant, not having specialization in the industry. Maybe they have questions that they're just not able to help with. Um, so looking for someone more specialized who can assist them and guide them in, in adjusting the financial reports to better assist them in making decisions. So it really depends on the client by client basis. Um, but our goal is really to adjust the financials and make sure they're reliable and, and accurate and in a manner that can help them identify potential problems in the business or, or growth areas. Um, you know, on top of that, we do do budgets and forecasts and assist with that. But really, the fundamental is having financial reports that are reliable. Yeah, I know when we, <laughs> I know when we started. Uh, yeah, no, uh, that that was it. Uh, that was not us. Uh, accurate uh, bookkeeping. Um, yeah, we struggled <laughs> with that for many years. Um, and and do you all do uh, payroll as well? We we don't do payroll. Um, you know, we we see that as something that there's a lot of payroll providers out there. That, that do it well, they do all the compliance and, and they're fairly affordable, right? Most of the options and, and it's best to leave that specialty to them. You know, we really focus on get, receiving that information and making sure it's presented in a manner that it is able to be interpreted by the owners. Right. Well, what would you recommend uh, when someone's starting an ABA company? Uh, what would your first step, what should your first step be when you're like, to start your bookkeeping and your accounting to get your record starting started, what would be your, your recommendation? So, I mean, the first step sometimes there's a delay and say, you maybe haven't set up a business bank account, you're spending money personally. It's important to track that. Now you may not have an accounting set for Excel's good. Just track those expenditures because they should all be captured more for tax purposes, right? To ensure that they're, they're expensed, right? You're claiming deduction for them but it's important to capture everything related to the business. Um, once you open a business bank account or credit card, we recommend going into an accounting software um, such as QuickBooks or Xero, the more affordable options um, to start tracking it properly in a true accounting software outside of Excel. Excel is not an accounting software. It's, it's great in the beginning for tracking stuff, you know, if you, when you don't have a bank account, but in the end, you really want to switch to an accounting software that's properly going to generate those true financial reports. Why is it better to use software versus just sticking with Excel? A lot of it's to do with the controls, right? So things like, and I'll, I'll touch on this too, is account reconciliation. So making sure that all the information is in there, Excel doesn't do that. You, you could have a super fancy Excel spreadsheet, but it doesn't really have the true controls that an accounting software has in place to ensure that everything balances out and everything's included, right? Because if you're not rely, if you, if you have information itself that's not reliable, and you're making decisions on that, you could be making very poor decisions. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, so, one of the questions that we have is, um, what are the most common bookkeeping challenges faced by ABA practices? Uh, I, I guess the the one thing I want to touch on too is the basis of accounting, right? That that comes up and, and 
when I have calls with owners, sometimes they're not aware of the differences and, and there is even a difference in basis of accounting. So there, there's cash basis and accrual basis. And they're very different, especially with this industry and how the information is presented. You know, on the cash basis, transactions are recorded as they happen, right? So as money is received, as money is paid out. Very similar to your bank account, right? Ins and outs, that's when everything gets recorded. On a cruel basis, it looks more at when ac the activity takes place that causes a financial result. So being that when income is earned or expenses are incurred. Now, the primary difference that shows in the profit and loss for ABA companies is really the matching of income and expenses, right? You know, it, it, in this industry, it's common to see a delay in payment, right? From when the date, the date of the service being performed to when you receive the payment. You know, you may perform the service on a Wednesday. It may not be billed out until later in the week or the next week. So you've already got that delay. And then there's delay between billing and when you receive it. So there could be this 30 to 60 day delay between when you perform it and when you receive the money. Now, you're still paying someone to perform the service. You're paying an RBT, you're paying a DCBA. That cost is being paid at a, at a particular time. So, for example, if you received a deposit from Aetna today for four hours of 97153, it, that was provided in January. You, on a cash basis, you would record that as income in February, the day it's received. But the payroll cost to be paid to perform those services would have been recorded in January. So there's a mismatch. You, there's no true matching of expenses uh, against income. Now, on an accrual basis, it's a little different where those services would have been recorded as income in January, which would then align with that payroll cost in January. And the key difference here is that there's a potentially misleading representation of the business, right? Dependent on your collections and also your pay cycle. So you, if on a cash basis, you may have one month with great collections and your profit and looks look great. You have a huge profit. The next month, your collections are down. Maybe you had three pay runs that were paid in that month and you have a huge loss. How you can appropriately, you know, monitor and assess, okay, how well is the business performing on that basis is very difficult because there's so many external factors that are impacting and you can't really truly see how profitable the business is. Yeah, this is what makes you guys so amazing. And I'm so excited that that, that you're here because, and I, I, I wish that you were around 12 years ago when, or if, that I if knew about were, you yeah. guys. If you were, if you were, I wish that we would have known about you then. Um, because that's the biggest piece that a lot of um, professionals don't understand. You know, when you go to an accountant or, you know, financial advisement of any sort, like they, they don't get that piece. Right. And so we used to call it insurance land, like what money is out there in insurance land. And it took us years to get a handle on how to even plan for, you know, like how to budget and how to plan for that. And there was all that constant insecurity of how are we going to get, how are we going to pay our staff um, and make sure we have enough money for those months that you know you get it takes a little longer to get your payments from insurance so that i'm just i'm just really grateful that you guys are doing what you are doing because we need this for sure yeah and then you speak our language you right? do like you the, do the, the, so. yeah <laughs> we're well aware of all the all the codes and the intricacies of the billing side and how that flows through you know as you say dealing with delays in payment in the beginning of the year where you have more patient responsibility you have deductibles co-pays co-insurance that you're having to deal with and and resetting insurances so the, having as you say cash flow is kind of a concern at that time so having sufficient balances at the end of the year to cover that shortage potentially of cash flow in the beginning of the year 
to ensure that you're covering payroll and until you're collecting that money. Something we are always saying is you need to get an accountant right away when you start your practice. You focus on the science, they focus on the numbers. You definitely want to reach out to margin keepers. They are trusted experts in ABA accounting, business consulting, and tax services. With in-depth knowledge of the applied behavioral analysis field, they tailor financial statements to highlight what's vital for ABA companies to analyze, saving you time and effort. Running an ABA practice comes with its own unique challenges. That's where they step in, helping you identify cost-saving strategies and ensuring compliance. And when tax season rolls around, count on margin keepers to make sure all your tax-related boxes are checked. Compliance is key. Concentrate on the science. Leave the accounting to margin keepers. Reach out today at 954-395-8107 or visit www.marginkeepers.com. Right. So a big question we get often, right, is um, we should we should apply standard rates regardless of who we're submitting our our um, our payments to, whether it's Aetna and they. Like I'm just giving random numbers out here. They don't mean anything, but mm-hmm. let's say uh, 97153 with Aetna, we're getting $55 an hour uh, with Optum. Maybe we're getting $63 an hour, uh, but we should submit our standard rate no matter who um, and no matter what our contracted rate is. How do you handle that? Like, okay, I'm submitting 75, but I know I'm only going to get 55. Um, do I write that off? Does that count as anything? How do I handle that? So from an accounting perspective, we always generally record revenue on contractual because ultimately, you know, you may bill it at a, at a, at a higher standard rate and that's fine. But what you're ultimately expecting to collect is a contractual amount. So when we look at revenue and accounts receivable from an accounting perspective, we look at it on a contractual basis. Um, now there may be adjustments to those numbers, right? So maybe there's you know denials and things like that. Those will be considered write-offs. So if it, or or there's underpayment, you know things that can be adjusted to contractuals. But we generally record it on contractual because you want to have a true picture of what you're potentially going to bring in, right? Not necessarily what your standard rates are. So then we like potentially if someone has a five thousand dollar deductible um, and they don't pay it that that would be that would be like a loss we would write that off is that right correct yeah so on a cruel basis you would record that as, as a write-off now obviously on a cash basis it's different there is no account receivable so there's no real write-offs but from an across perspective to in order for your account receivable to be accurate you would have to write off that balance okay okay and so i'm assuming uh, that you think that accrual would be a benefit to an ABA provider, is that? Definitely, it's the best basis overall um, because of that delay payment. And, and it allows you to see a true profitability of the business. You know, the main drawback is it is, is more expensive generally to do, right? And more time intensive um, because you're having to do more calculations in determining the accrual revenue, um, which the ease depends on okay which practice management system you're using are the contractual rates in there is it easily accessible or is it something that has to be manually calculated um also adjustments to your expenses for for accrual basis right so payroll for example if you're on a bi-weekly cycle there's generally a pay pay run that covers two months right so there's an adjustment that would need to be done there to account for that to estimate 
what the payroll was for each month. Gotcha. Okay. So I just want to make sure I'm like tracking here because this is the, this is the area that I was more clinical based, right? And so I know there's a lot of BCBAs out there who are more focused on clinical based and, and a lot of this is brand new. So you're saying that accrual helps you to see your true profitability and that um, even though it may be a little more expensive and take a little bit more work, it's going to help you see, have a better picture of what you're dealing with. Correct. Because uh, if I always say clients, if you're on a cruel basis and you're in a lost position, there's obviously a fundamental problem with the business that needs to be resolved because that indicates that even if you collect all your billings at your contractual rate, it is not sufficient to cover the expenses you incur. So you will continue to lose money month on month until you see an accrual profit. And, and that's very hard to assess on a cash basis. You, if, if you see those ups and downs with collections, you may not know that you're actually in an accrual loss position. You may see it in the cash balance, that your cash balance is gradually dwindling month on month. You know, you're having cash flow problems. That's generally an indicator that there is an accrual loss problem. Um, you know, so being on accrual allows you to at least identify, hopefully, what's the cause of that is it a a gross margin problem looking at your direct labor so your rbts your bcbas compared to your contractual rates or is it an overhead problem do you have too much in overhead expenses so your admin payroll your rent your utilities your office expenses are they too much for what you're generating in revenue my, my next question is because I'm going to say, like, maybe, maybe I'm incorrect on this, but I'm going to say the vast majority of ABA uh, providers are probably on a cash basis, I would assume. Um, and so if they come to you and, and you're like, yeah, we should probably switch this over. Is that a huge deal? Do you have to change something as far as like to the government? Like, do they have to know how you're doing this or is that a big deal? In most cases, no. So it's common, a common question is, okay, I report on a cash basis to, to the IRS. Does it impact if I change to accrual for false financial reporting? And it doesn't. You know, you can be on accrual financial reporting and still report cash uh, to the IRS, right, for your tax return. The only important thing is that you're telling your tax accountant do, you, do your numbers are on accrual and they're doing appropriate conversions to cash because there may be differences, right? Obviously, your cash collections may be different from what your accrual numbers are. So it's important that they are doing that conversion to ensure that the numbers they're reporting to the IRS are truly cash-based. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I, I could imagine, like, you know, we do a lot of work in December and we don't get that till February or, you know, mid-November, there's delays and we don't see that until January or something like that, so. So, how, like, as far as taxes are concerned, so it goes in the year that you receive it, right? the money like correct if you're a cash basis if you're a cash basis preparer you would record it based on your collection so your income would be on a cash basis so whatever money came in from the insurance companies your clients that would be reported in that year but if you were doing this and maybe this is a dumb question but i'm gonna ask it so if you if you're if you're accrual and and so I, i'm not even saying that right but it, tough it, yeah, it is, it, it's a tough word for me um but let's say you do you know you you submit your uh, your you you submit your claims in november but you don't see them that year uh would that get counted on taxes for that year does that make sense is that a does that make sense so if you've billed out so on a cash basis you've done billings in november but you haven't received them at the end of december that wouldn't be counted as income on cash, 
right? Because that's still effectively an accounts receivable, which doesn't exist for the purposes of a cash basis report. Um, if you were reporting on accrual, which most ABA companies are not, but if you were reporting accrual for tax purposes, it would be included. Okay. So you would you would advise them to like look at their books on a on a accrual basis, but not really do their taxes. Is that correct on a accrual basis? Is that correct? Generally, it's it, that's easier. Um, you know, as if for the very large ABA companies, they're probably doing they may be doing it. There are obviously thresholds that require you to report on accrual, to IRS. Um, but most ABA companies are less than that, so it's easier just to do cash reporting for for tax. All right, and and then I guess you know the the question was, and we've already answered. Yeah, this one. I think we so can skip the, over. Yeah, we'll skip over that one. Okay. Um, and so um, I guess the next piece, unless we miss something on, you know, uh, accrual versus uh, cash basis, that you know that you would like to mention. Um, no, I think we kind of covered it. You know, it, a lot of it feeds into the other areas I wanted to look at. So. The next step, I guess, is when you're doing a setup for your accounting software is looking at chart of accounts, right? So the chart of accounts is what accounts you're going to code those transactions as part of the bookkeeping into the accounting system. So your income and your expense accounts. What you want to do is ensure that you set up the, the accounts to be appropriate for the industry, right? You know, accounting softwares like QuickBooks will give recommendations for similar industries. But not exactly, right? So there's differences, obviously, with the AB industry, and you want to kind of tailor it to your, your in the industry and your company, right? Maybe you have specific, you know, things you want to track, you know, but you want to highlight significant expenses so you can identify potential issues. And that's where looking at splitting direct labor and admin labor comes in. So we generally say direct labor is, you know, your RBTs and your BCBAs performing billable services primarily. Um, you want to code to a cost of goods sold, right? So you can track the gross margin of the business because that is a separate potential problem from your overhead. So your and then your admin employees, so your office manager, your receptionist, your scheduler, your biller, um, any if you have a clinical director who's primarily you know not billable time, they would all be admin staff. You would code to overhead expenses along with your rent and your office expenses, continuing education, things like that. Mm, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. The question I get, and this is really not along the same lines, but like, you know, a lot of people starting out, they'll ask me, okay, I haven't really started my business yet, um, but I'm going to buy this membership or I'm going to buy this training on how to start my business. Can I expense those off at, after or do I have to have my LLC started or my PLLC my, uh, before I can start expensing business expenses. I mean, it's generally advisable to create the company first, but you can you can expense them um, as part of the business and say it's a it's a startup expense. Um, but generally, you want to sort of create your company and then start doing those expenses. As I said earlier, you know, ideally you want to limit the stuff you're paying personally. It's best to have sort of business accounts set up and be really really running everything through that which, you know, the first step is to set up the entity, get your EIN, then open the business bank account. You know, leading on from the chart of accounts and where I was talking about direct labor and admin is really the payroll accounting side, right? Now, most companies have a payroll provider, maybe QuickBooks, you know, there's Gusto, ADP, Paychex. There's a lot of companies out there. Um, one thing you want to do is try and discuss integrations with your accounting software because payroll accounting is difficult. 
It's not as straightforward as just saying, okay, here's my payment to, to Gusto. That's going to go as an expense. There's different components. There's your gross pay, your taxes, benefit costs. Do you have health insurance, a 401k? You want to ensure that those are properly tracked so you ensure you're paying your life pay liabilities. You don't want to get into the situation that you're not paying the IRS or you're not paying for RK and you open yourself up to liability down the line. So it's yeah. very important that, you know, you discuss integrations because that streamlines that process, right? Ensuring that everything is brought across the accounting appropriately and is being tracked. So I, I, I have a question um, that one of our uh, members uh, posted on Facebook and I feel like it might fall into this category. If it doesn't, you can let me know and we can answer it another time. But how does paying yourself work when you are a partnership LLC and cannot put yourself on payroll? Okay. So as a, as a partnership, you, you can't be treated, you're not treated as an employee, right? So the only way to pay yourself is through draws, right? So that it's in the balance sheet under equity. Now you can pay yourself a, a regular draw effectively like you're paying yourself. And, and that's kind of recommended because then you're kind of consistently taking effectively like a paycheck. Um, but that's the way it would have to be treated. It can't be treated as an expense because you are treated as an employee. Whereas it's a little different if say you're an LLC you're, and your tax is an S-Corp. As an S-Corp, S-Corp owner, you can be treated as an employee and you can draw a salary. So that is a little different. Now you can still take distributions as an S-Corp owner, but they have, have to be in an appropriate proportion. So you have to take a reasonable salary before you can take your draws. Do you recommend one over the other? It really depends on a case by case. Um, you know, in the beginning, I think, uh, you know, an LLC or a partnership is recommended because your cash flow is not as certain, right? You, you know, you're doing initially, you've got a lot of outflow rather than inflow. So it's hard to say, oh, I'm going to set this salary. I'm going to have this set salary each pay around because you don't have that consistent cash flow. As you grow, there's there's potential tax benefits to being through an, an S-Corp um, and drawing that salary, but it's really a case-by-case -case basis. And you can change that at any time? Yeah, so generally it's pretty easy to switch from like an LLC to, to an S-Corp. Um, you just have to make your election before the filing deadline um, at the beginning of the year. Good to know. Because a lot of people start out as like a sole BCBA mm -hmm. uh, provider and whether they plan on growing or not some people don't plan on growing and they end up hiring staff and growing um so i just i was curious um because if you needed to look ahead or if you were able to change it so that's good information to know so i, I actually have a question on the partnership and i don't know the answer to this so let's say you start a partnership like an actual partnership um and one the partner says see you later uh, what what are what are what do you do in that situation? Do you have to dissolve the partnership and then start your own thing, or can you have a partnership without a partner? Um, that, there's a lot of intricacies there. It would be specific to the case. Um, you know whether there would be generally there's a buyout right for that partner, and and that would have to be flow through flow through return and the accounting. Um, you don't generally have to dissolve it, but it's kind of, there has to be, a, there's a process there to, to go through that transition of ownership. I was just curious if it would be better if you were thinking about a partnership to start as an S Corp, knowing that, you know, you could, you could do the dividend thing, um, between the two partners. And then if there wasn't, uh, if that partner did leave, then they would just get you know, they wouldn't get their dividend. I, I don't know if that 
makes sense. I mean, they each have, yeah, they, they, they're each complex, right? Any, anytime you have a change in ownership, no matter the structure, it is a complex transaction. Um, I wouldn't recommend one over the other, right? As far as, as far as structure. Ideally, you don't want to be in that situation, right? Ideally, you don't want to be in that situation. And we see that, you know, that owners want to leave, some owners want to leave, and at least it's hopefully on good terms. Um, and there's a, you know, some procedure where there's a buyout. Um, but ideally, you don't want that to happen down the line. Yeah, one of the things, I mean, as we're helping people start up, one of the things we recommend is like having an operations agreement and, and a contract between the two of them just to make sure, like, you start off as friends and hopefully you remain friends, but... Sometimes you don't, right? Um, and and even between husband and wives, something we didn't do. Uh, thank goodness we're still together. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, we've seen that through divorce, right? That can be very challenging. And who owns the business, really, right? And so, um, yeah, that that can be very difficult. So it's it's good to have those things up front when we're still talking to each other, communicating, um, and then you know that does make dissolving or buying someone out a little bit easier um, right. if it comes to that. Um, okay. I was just checking to see if we had any more questions that came through that kind of pertain sure. to this, but no, I think we're good. Okay. Um, is, what else, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on with chart of accounts um, and that type of thing that, that we haven't discussed yet? I guess the other thing I guess that's kind of related is account reconciliations. So, um, you know, account reconciliations in your accounts are involves looking at your account balances and comparing them against third-party sources. So this mainly relates to things like bank accounts, credit cards, any loan balances, um, any any debts, and ensuring that they're accurate. Right? Um, you know, if you if you're doing the accounting yourself, it's important the steps being done. If you're doing it yourself, or you have someone coming in reviewing it and doing it, because it ensures the completeness and accuracy of those accounts. It's the, the number of times I've seen that reconciliations are not being done and, and this myriad of mistakes, right? And, and the only way it really gets identified is through that procedure. And this goes back to using an accounting software over, say, Excel is, is this step, right? Of reconciling and ensuring that you don't, you're not duplicating revenue or you're missing expenditures um, and, and underreporting expenditures because ultimately this is going to, Go through to your tax return right so you want to ensure that the numbers are accurate maybe you're overstating your income and you're paying more tax than you actually should be right so this is an important step that it should be done obviously on a monthly basis as statements are available um, to ensure that it's accurate and then you have them so it's not a big push at the end of the year when you're getting your taxes ready right <laughs> yep it's not a, okay we need to reconcile the last year and go through, find all these differences and yeah. fix them. As Steven's face turns like red. <laughs> we've had, we've had too many years where we were, you know, stressed out at the last minute, oh, like trying to yeah. compile all of that. And, you know, I just hope oh, that we were able to triple check it or triple check worked and, and we were able to get all the pieces, you know, um, yeah. back in the day. I, I think mean, it's outside of the, I don't think they could come back for that many <laughs> years back, but um, I mean, we're always saying like you have like don't don't be like Stephen and April. Get <laughs> bookkeeping under control. Yeah, right when you start. Right, get an accountant. Right when you start. Like it just 
I, I just the more I, I hear you talk, the more I regret my choices in life. And so I, I, I'm like, I wish we would have had you all uh, take care of us because I, I think it just the amount of stress, the un, undue stress for no reason whatsoever. Right. right? Other yeah. than to maybe save ten dollars a month. Right. <laughs> um, it, it just seems pointless. Um, and so why not do this? And. Well, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, learn from our mistakes, but we also talk a lot about you don't know what you don't know yeah. until you don't know. Yeah. And, and and that's the scary part is, it, at least for me, because I have, and I still am learning about business and finances and stuff. I'm probably learning more now that I'm part of Stephen with 3Pi Squared than when I was an ABA agency owner. Um, I had Stephen to lean on, but even still, like, I should have known more, right? And it was kind of scary because you, what if you don't know, right? But the only way you're going to know is by getting, getting in there and learning, smart. right? Yeah. And and no matter who, like it, who you hire to do your accounting or your bookkeeping or whatever, I feel like it's one of those things that you should have a knowledge, at least a general knowledge yourself so that you know, like you can check in and you make sure that at least you can tell if maybe there's some red flags, you sure. know, uh, or, you know, what to look out for. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's very important to have an understanding of what you're looking at, right? You, you're receiving these reports from your accountant. What does it mean? What is an asset? What's a liability? What is my equity section mean? You know, how does that flow through with the profit and loss? So you have an understanding of what you're looking at. Um, and you, you want to be asking your accountant that, you know, how is this, how is this working? Right. So I have an understanding to kind of check that these numbers look reasonable based on what I'm experiencing as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what's nice about you all is that because you work with so many ABA providers, you, I, I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I assume you can look at someone's books and say, yeah, that sounds right. Like. Yeah, you're going to see that much, uh, you know, you're going to write that much off. It's normal to have like, you know, 5% um, a loss on like insurance claims or, or co-pays and deductibles or, you know, no, that's completely wrong. Like, that's not what what we're experienced with. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, we, we you know, anytime we, you know, even if it's an existing practice and we look at their books, and we can identify the problems just from upfront looking at the numbers and saying, okay, well, your gross margin is too low, right? That's you have a problem of either your pay rates are too high compared to contractual, maybe a non-billable percentage is too high, um, and and that's driving up, driving down your gross margin, right? Um, or it's the overhead. You know, it's it's we can generally identify from just looking at the numbers where the problems are. You know, hopefully when you, you pick an account and you do all that up front, you're not going to have to kind of find that later, right? It's kind of, I, you know, preventative. We're monitoring and managing the business. So we're identifying those problems up front instead of being too late, right? The time where maybe your cash flow is really strained because you're being in accrual losses for a year and you're struggling um, and, and you're having to take out loans or, you know, high interest loans to cover, right? Short term sorts of cash flow problems, which is a very bad situation to be in. And ideally you want to have, you know, upfront identify those issues and resolve them so you're not in that uh, straight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and just a, a quick question on the uh, on reconciliation. How often 
and you may have already mentioned that, uh, but how often do you recommend doing that? Like every month? Is that something that? Generally, I'd say every month, um, you know, at least because most statements are available every month, right? Now, credit cards have weird months, but you still reconcile based on the statement date for those as well. So, you know, you may be, there's different periods throughout the month. You may get a statement mid-month, but at least every month you're doing sort of the prior month statements. And, and you know, like, because a lot of ABA practices, especially when they're starting out, like, you know, and you kind of mentioned it, uh, like the first year, six months, there might be a lot of expenditures and not, not a lot of whole, a whole lot of profit, but then there is this like exponential, uh, growth period where, okay, the BCBA finally gets in network with funders. Um, now they're hiring RBTs and they see their, their revenue go from like almost nothing to like a huge difference. Is there anything that they need to plan for in that period that you recommend, um, I mean, generally, the only thing would be potential cash flow, right? So, you know, obviously, if you're trying to expansionally grow, you're hiring a lot of new employees. So, generally, there's a there's an upfront cost to that. So, you know, you're hiring a BCBA and, and potentially waiting for credentialing, or so you've got to cover that salary or that cost. You know, you're hiring RBTs to perform more hours, and you're training them. So, that training time, you're not collecting any revenue. So, that upfront cost and having enough cash flow in place to cover that shortage for that growth is very important. Um, you know, potentially doing projections and scaling. Okay. If your current location has a capacity constraint, are you going to have to add a new location and what's that cost going to add? You know, looking at that projections part of growing the business and how that's going to be. Oh yeah. And, and do you, I know you mentioned a lot of different payroll apps or services. Do, do you have a, like this one works, Best. A favorite? Yeah. <laughs> a favorite? Well, I, I would say Gusto is probably our favorite. Uh, it's pretty user-friendly, and as far as where I mentioned the integration, it, it's one of the better ones and more user-friendly um, if you're looking at that. But it, it really comes down to preference to, you know, then it depends if you want, say, a PEO, right, which is where they're doing literally everything for the payroll and you're kind of lumped in for benefit purposes so you get a better package. Um, generally that you have to go through say ADP or, or you know, paychecks, one of the larger ones or more, you know, more unique payroll provider may, may offer the PEO package it, that's different from standard, say Gusto. And then, um, uh, you know, just a quick one on, um, what are the most, well, yeah, the common mistakes that, you know, w- common mistakes and or red flags, you know, um, that, that you've seen. Yeah. So running through, you know, like the things like not adding new business accounts. So say you open a new checking account, a savings account, you open a new credit card or even a sub card, right? So we see common that, you know, you may have a credit card and you have a, a new sub card you assigned to employee. Maybe that's not being brought in, right? Um, it's very common, even in the accounting software, they're not hundred percent, right? A lot of them are set up to bring in transactions, but they're not always doing it accurately. And that's due to the connection with the banks and how that works. And so it's important to ensure that those are being added or at least identified through the account reconciliations, right? That discrepancy should show, um, you know, coding credit cards is expense, credit card payments is expenses, 
rather than a repayment of the liability. You know, we'll duplicate your expenses um, and show a lot more expenses than what you actually have. Um, you know, coding money received as, re as revenue instead of loans or, or refunds, right? So things that are not actually revenue related, getting coded to, to revenue. Um, you know, not reconciling, obviously it's a big problem. <laughs> And as you say, like, if you're not doing it consistently, there's no real reliability on the accuracy of your reports. Um, not spending loan payments. So loan payments, usually there's an interest principal portion. So doing that split, you know, generally your liability should be your principal portion um, and your interest portion should be going to your profit and losses and expense. So, you know, there's a potential that you're misstating both your liability and your expense if you're not appropriately splitting that. Um, Nowadays, there's a lot of AI, AI rules and things are getting into in, even the accounting software. I always um, tend to say, don't necessarily rely on those things. Um, you know, accounting software is getting better about suggesting, say, codings or matching transactions, but don't always rely 100%. Because if you do, it can create a lot of problems and it's hard to unwind those mistakes. So, you know, at least having an in-depth knowledge of what it's trying to do so you can check and ensure that it's doing what's correct before agreeing that it's right. Um, you know, there's also things like rules, rules on transactions. Be careful, right? If you have categorizing an expense, say from Amazon, maybe it should go in multiple categories. It could be an office supply. It could be, um, say, therapy supplies, right? So it's toys to, to perform services. You have different categories you generally code them to. You don't want to set up a rule that's going to be general, right? You want to ensure that they're getting coded appropriately. Or, or say it's you set up a rule for PayPal. Well, PayPal could be multiple things, right? You know, it could be you know contractor service, cleaning, um, it could be purchasing equipment, you know, multiple things. So just be careful with those kinds of things and applying general rules. Um, and then getting back to payroll, just getting an understanding of your employee benefits, right? Not duplicating that expense. You know, if you're invoicing, how is the payroll entries getting recorded for your employee benefits? Um, and making sure you're not duplicating expenses around that. Very, those are, I just, you know, I, my silence <laughs> is just, I'm just processing and taking all of this in because, you know, it's there again, like I, not a lot of professionals would understand all of those pieces, no. you know, because I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, did we do that? Did we, you yeah. know, be, be, because it's the, it's true. Like you, you have multiple reasons, um, you know, uses of Amazon and PayPal and whatnot. And then also like, are you duplicating those? And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot to really think about that kind of falls in that category of you don't know what you don't know until, right. you know, right. you've right. made that mistake and right. you learn, but um yeah uh, you know like i that it, again just going back to the the knowledge that you have that there's just it, it's different you know we we talk about going with you know a general employment attorney they're gonna know some stuff mm -hmm. right of course but if they don't know aba man that's tough right they, like, right it, they may just, not understand stuff like they just split. don't understand like it may, they well, don't understand like that. Home yeah. health care yeah. yeah split shift law yeah. like they're just things that they just fundamentally don't know and they can certainly write an employee handbook for a you know an office space uh but they just don't have that general knowledge and i i feel like that's very similar here with accounting right there's just this fundamental knowledge that could be missing 
that could really set you back. It, it, and so, you know, again, the 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 feedback we've gotten from you all is just amazing. I've not heard a single bad thing about, about you guys uh, from all of the ABA practices that we work with. And many of them have you as their accountant right now. So, um, you know, that's just, it's, it's wonderful that there are accountants like your team out there. Um, and so we just really appreciate you're willing to come on this podcast and share your experience and knowledge. Yeah, it's so exciting because the the field of ABA is still so young in, in the scheme of things that um, you know it, it gets it's very exciting when when other um, professionals you know, that that you need to consult with to run a business start to get a better understanding of what ABA is. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that we missed that we didn't cover um, that you would want to make sure that um, that we cover? No, I, I think it's been great. I appreciate you having me on and, and, you know, discussing these important topics of ensuring that you have accurate financials, right? It's very important as business owners uh, and, you know, we're always here to help the industry and try and help them grow, right? There's, there's constant challenges in this industry and external impacts that, you know, are out of the control of the owners. So it's being able to, you know, adapt and, and, you know, look at the financials and play around that, right? And ensure that you can still grow. Yeah, I, I think a lot of business owners, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like I'm pretty, this is pretty accurate. A lot of just want to put their head in the sand, right? Like it's like, oh, I don't know what's going on over there. Everything seems fine. I'm not going to mess with it. It's a, and, and so, but because it, it's scary, it's overwhelming, it, it, it causes a lot of anxiety. And um, so having, again, just having that knowledge that you have, I think, can set some people uh, and just it's just a better position. Right. And even, you know, not that many people, maybe some people listening to this will be thinking about that, but even selling your practice, you're going to do it at some point and having your books in order is like so so important yeah and it comes back even you know we we we've seen clients that look to sell um you know on the basis of accounting also comes into play you know potential buyers will prefer accrual because it gives them a better picture of what the business is doing performance wise um but it's definitely important if you are looking that route you need to have your books in order um that's the fundamental thing that they're going to look at as far as valuing the business yeah yeah, I have to imagine that that's going to make a huge difference, right? Somebody that comes with their stuff together, right? They know what they're doing. Uh, the the buyer is certainly going to be more confident, right, than someone that's just like handing over Excel, <laughs> an Excel file there. Hey, I guess it's right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, um, it's exciting that you guys also have um, you guys have like a special treat for the for the audience. Um. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, we're we're looking to offering a you know our suggested chart of accounts. So what I mentioned earlier, as far as you know, setting up income and expense accounts specific to the industry, um, we wanted to give that for free. If you just send us an email, um, you can email us at assistance at marginkeepers.com and just reference the podcast, and we'll we'll send that out your way, so you can kind of see what we recommend as far as setup. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put that. For everyone listening, watching, we'll just put that in the notes so that you can click on that and then uh, just mention 3Pi Squared Podcast and 
and you'll get that free chart of accounts, which I think could be very helpful for even if you're listening to this and you're like, I got it. Don't, just just download it and see if it works, right? Like just just take a look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that could be very beneficial to new new companies and uh, established companies. So, yeah. So Stephen, um, yeah. would you like to share with the audience how they can locate margin keepers through the affiliate program? Yes, Isn't absolutely. there a specific way that you can kind of get, get yep. to that? So you can go onto our website. Again, I'll share this link, uh, but there is a, a, a margin keepers is a business affiliate of our, ours. Again, to become a business affiliate, we do reference tracks. We we talk to you all uh, a couple of times, right? Just to make sure. And then we look for feedback from our current customers uh, that are using that uh, business affiliate uh, for positive feedback. And like I've already said, um, but like 100%, right? Like there was there wasn't anything negative, nothing at all. So that that again, just makes us feel comfortable with doing these things. And so um, you can go to our website, click on podcast, click on business affiliates, and you'll see their stuff there. And you can book a time uh, with margin keepers to discuss bookkeeping or any financial things. So yeah, so, and again, we'll put that in the notes um, and um, so be going on YouTube too, I suppose. So it'll be in the description. Um, so yeah, that does that, does that answer? That's perfect, awesome. yeah. I just wanted to make sure that yeah, everyone knew how to get in touch with margin keepers. And is there anything that we missed, uh, Sam, that, that you think would be important um, to let ABA companies know um, before we end? No, I think we're really covered everything. I think it's just make sure, you know, look at your numbers and make sure if you're fleet they're accurate, right? Um, or, or work on it, even if you're doing it yourself, you know, look at taking the steps to ensure that, you know, you have reliable data to look at, just like you do for, for practice. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Making sure that your numbers are accurate and that your data is reliable, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, Sam. We really appreciate appreciate your time and and I really enjoyed learning more um today during this podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.